Welcome to episode 32 of the Running on Ohm podcast. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I'm excited to have Heather Anderson, experienced hiker, ultramarathoner, and record holder of the fastest self-supported Pacific Crest Trail through hike in 60 days, 17 hours, and 12 minutes. In this episode, we discuss Heather's numerous hiking endeavors she completed before her speed PCT hike, including the Continental Divide Trail, Appalachian Mountain Trail, and the Pacific Crest Trail once prior. Heather reveals the challenges of her record-holding Pacific Crest Trail hike, including a recount of her most difficult day and four encounters with mountain lions. She shares on her love of ultra-running, including her most recent attempt at the Barkley 100. Heather describes her food and nutrition philosophy and what trails are on her bucket list. If you would like to help others find the Running on Ohm podcast, feel free to leave a review on iTunes. I hope you enjoy the show. Oh. Welcome, Heather, to the Running on Ohm podcast. Thank you. So let's jump in. What's your background in hiking and running? When did that come into your life? It came into my life, actually, as an adult. I wasn't really an active person at all uh, growing up. And then my um, first summer in college, I got a summer job working at the Grand Canyon at the front desk of a hotel. And while I was there, I went on my first hiking trip. And um, there's just, like, some day hikes and absolutely fell in love with it. And I got it in my head after that summer that I wanted to through hike the Appalachian Trail. And so um, I came back to Indiana, which is where I went to school, and I started running and lifting weights, which was really, really difficult for me because I had never done anything like that before, and I I couldn't even run around the track one time when I started. And um, so I trained um, pretty hard for the next two years, and then um, after I graduated, I got some friends to drive me down um, the day of graduation down to Georgia and dropped me off, like, the next morning, and I walked to Maine. (laughs) And along the way, I learned um, so much, (laughs) because I had no clue what I was getting myself into when I started. And, um, for instance, I didn't even have a sleeping bag, because I thought it was May in Georgia, and it would be warm enough to not need one. Um, So by the time I got to Maine, though, um, I had learned enough to um, know that I was absolutely in love with Uh, hiking and that I wanted to um, do the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, So the following summer, I actually worked as a park ranger out in Glacier National Park in Montana and saved up money. And then the year after that, I threw hiked the Pacific Crest Trail. And then the year after that, I threw hiked the Continental Divide Trail. Um, So I managed to do all of those long-distance trails um, by the age of 25. And um, in between, like in the winters in between, I was I was jogging, you know, just kind of stay in shape by like 20, 25 miles a week or whatever. And then um, after I completed these long distance trails, I moved out to Washington State. And that was when I first heard about ultra marathons. And I kind of thought to myself, well, if I could hike 30 miles in a day carrying all my stuff, surely I could probably like run one if people were handing me food and water and cheering me along. Um, so I signed up for my first ultra and trained really hard for it. It was the Chuck and 50K. And here in Bellingham, Washington, and then um, I ran that and was immediately addicted to ultra running and um, even was running 50 and 100 mile races on a pretty consistent basis. Wow. So it sounds like from the beginning you went head in to pretty extreme. (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't ever take baby steps. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm going to take up racing. I'll do it 50K. So yeah. for listeners who don't know what it means to through-hike something, what does that mean? So through-hiking means completing a trail end-to-end in a single um, season or single attempt uh, without, like, um, you know, going home for extended periods of time or whatever. Um, although, you know, some people will get off trail for, like, a wedding or a family thing and then come back, but basically just doing it in one season. Um, generally, um, you don't talk about through-hiking things that are – you know, less than 100 miles or something like that. Most of the time when people are talking about through hiking, they're talking about one of the three um, long-distance trails, really long-distance trails in the U.S., um, the Appalachian Trail, which is uh, just under 2,200 miles, um, the Pacific Crest Trail, which is about um, 2,660, and then the Continental Divide Trail, which is incomplete but can be somewhere between 25 and 3,000 miles, depending on the route you take. Um, and then there's some other uh, long-distance trails that are shorter than that that people also do hike, like the John Muir Trail, which is uh, just over 200 miles, um, the Long Trail, which I believe is around 200 miles up in Vermont, and then um, the Colorado Trail in Colorado, which is about 500 miles, um, give or take. But, um, so you have those other trails, too, that people will talk about through hiking. Great. And when were the seeds planted for you to try to speed hike the PCT, the Pacific Crest Trail? I think um, the seed was probably planted when I was out on my first PCT hike, um, just because that was the year that David Horton did a supported um, record attempt on uh, the PCT and uh, set a record of, like, I believe it was 66 days. And I remember seeing him in the Sierra, you know, and he was coming through there. He passed uh, my partner and I there and seeing – kind of blown away by the idea that somebody was running the trail when we were hiking it. And, you know, my partner and I would, you know, when you're out there and you have nothing else to do all day except walk and think and talk to whoever is handy, um, we would talk about things like that. You know, sometimes we would come up with a conversation and we would talk about, you know, I wonder, you know, how fast we could do the trail if we were trying to or whatever. And, I mean, I guess um, – I knew that I was a pretty strong hiker, and I always just kind of wondered if I could um, set a women's record on um, one of the long-distance trails. And so it was just kind of something that I pondered off and on here and there um, for years before I finally decided to actually do it. And when you did it, you did it in 60 days, 17 hours, and 12 minutes, um, the Pacific Crest Trail. What day was the most challenging? Um, I mean, there were a lot of really challenging days. It's hard for me to think of one that um, was more challenging than the others. Um, obviously, some of the days at the very beginning when um, my body was just in complete pain because I was forcing it, you know, beyond its, you know, capacity until, like, it finally adapted. You know, those were physically incredibly painful days, you know, and it was really, really hot and dry starting in Southern California in June in their, like, biggest drought year since, like, 1877. So it's like there was a day where I ran out of water and it was triple-digit heat and I was out of water for, like, three hours um, in a place where there was no shade and I just had to keep hiking with, like, nothing to drink. Um, That was pretty um, a horrible, like, thing. And, like, 
laying dead at night trying to sleep when your legs are spasming so much that you can't sleep. Like, that was pretty horrible. But, you know, all those things, like, passed. You know, they I, my body adapted, and, you know, I moved through those and became stronger. Um, and then you just have, like, emotional ups and downs as you go. I mean, sometimes you wake up in the morning and feel awesome, and then, you know, by afternoon you'd be overwhelmed by how much further you had to go. Um, the physically difficult stuff was all at the very beginning. Um, as time went on, it became much more of a mental and emotional um, difficult um, difficulty to keep pushing yourself to go when you were really tired and didn't really want to keep um, pressing at that level. Um, I think the hardest emotional day for me was actually in Washington um, because um, my boyfriend drove down to um, Snoqualmie Pass, which is basically like the last my last resupply point. He surprised me there, um, and I had pushed really hard to come in there and I had gone like 53 miles on three hours of sleep and gotten there really late at night and he was there and I was surprised to see him, but like, I didn't even, I couldn't even like interact. Like I was just so exhausted. And, um, I got my resupply at the, cause I had mailed it to the hotel and stayed there that night. And then the next morning I had to get up, you know, bright and early and hike out cause I had to do my miles that day. And, you know, so I didn't even have this chance to like interact with this person. And then like, the whole day, I just felt like I was walking away from him. And all I wanted to do was turn around and go back and get in the car and go home with him. And so, like, mentally, it was just a total, like, um, I don't know, it just totally messed me up because I just suddenly was like, this is the person I've been hiking toward. This is, like, home. Like, I could get in that car and go right home. And I was only 200 miles from the end. And um, so that ended up being, like, my shortest day. Like, I only did 32 miles that day because I was fighting with myself to keep going um, because I'd had this taste of what's at the end. And so it was like, you know, things like that come up and like can really mess you up, even though there was nothing particularly hard about that day. It was all in my head. Yeah. So how did you deal with those mental battles? Did you have a certain phrase that you would repeat to yourself over and over? Was there that vision of being at the end of the trail? What, what kept you motivated? Um, I didn't really have any sort of, like, phrases or anything like that. The only phrase I had was, like, in the morning when I would, my alarm would go off and I would lay there and not want to get up. And basically I would finally just say to myself, like, the record isn't going to break itself. And that would get me up, like, vertical. Um, but it wasn't like, you know, I repeated it over and over to myself every day or anything like that. Um, I don't know. I guess I'm just pretty stubborn. Like, I had my mind set on doing this and... Um, I never really thought about quitting except, um, that day in Washington when, you know, I had that glimpse of being done and I was so close to being done that I felt, you know, I kind of had that, that day where I kept thinking, well, it doesn't really matter. I've already proven I can do this. I don't have to actually see it through. Um, and then, you know, just being like, that's stupid. Of course you have to see it through. Um, you can't quit the 200 miles to go, um, unless you break your leg. Um, (laughs) so, I mean, it's just more of a, um, I guess just arguing with yourself um, versus any sort of, like, real techniques. Just being like, you've invested all of this, and you've gone through so much. I think that's basically what got me through the later stages of the hike, was just thinking back about everything I had put myself through and being like, do you really want to waste that by, you know, quitting or whatever? Um, Earlier on, it was just your um, stubbornness, I think, (laughs) that got me through. Yeah, very much so. I know during the actual um, 
walk you encountered four mountain lions in your 60 and a half days. What was what were those encounters like, or was there one that really stood out to you as pretty scary? Um, yeah, none of them were actually scary, which was kind of funny because I was terrified of mountain lions um, before I started the hike. Like they were like my biggest fear, and part of the reason I decided to do this hike was to overcome my fears of like, hiking at night and you know mountain lions and that sort of thing. Because I knew I would be putting myself in situations where I would most likely have to face my fear of both of those things and um but it's like whenever I ran into one um by and large it was just like running into any other wild animal it's like it would see me I would see it I would stop and then I would like yell and it would run away um it was not uh it wasn't as terrifying as I thought it would be um one did follow me for a half a mile once but I was so um I was kind of oblivious to the fact that I was being followed for the first part, and then by the time I figured out that I was being followed, um, I realized that it hadn't attacked me yet, so I guess it was probably not going to. Um, I don't know. I, that wasn't, I guess, was a little bit scary, but I found people to camp with that night. Um, there were people camped where I was intending to camp, so I guess that kind of made me feel a little safer um, since they had followed me up to my camp that... Um, I wasn't by myself. Maybe if I was by myself, that would have been a lot more scary. Um, yeah, totally. And I know you did the um, the trail unsupported, and so you didn't have a crew with you. At any point, did you have any hiking partners? Um, yeah, awesome, because there's so many people through hiking the trail. Um, I would, you know, run meet somebody, and, you know, I'd catch up to them, and uh, we'd hike together for a little while um, because, like, my hiking speed's, um, fast, but it's not like, you know, that much faster than, you know, strong, um, other strong hikers. It's just the fact that I was going like, you know, way, way longer in the day than they would, you know? So, um, most people stop at like 9 PM and don't start hiking till like seven or eight. And I was hiking till 10 or 11, sometimes 12 and being up and starting again at five. So, um, I, I spent, you know, a few afternoons, you know, hiking off and on with people and, um, I ran into a guy in Northern California and already knew he's a friend of mine and he was hiking the PCT through hiking for like the third time. And when I caught up to him, he was just like, I'm going to try and hang with you for a few days. And I was like, okay. Um, and he did, he hiked with me for like three days and, you know, just hiked, you know, he's like, hiked my pace, like got up when I got up and went to bed when I got bed. But, um, he was like, man, I can't imagine doing this, you know, for more than just a couple of days. Like, you know, it was crazy. So, yeah, I did it for a few days. How did your body, how did you recover from those 60 and a half days? What was that like? Um, You know, I I anticipated it was going to be really difficult because when I was out there towards the end, I really felt like um, I was nearing capacity for my body. I felt like if if the trail were, you know, like, a couple hundred miles longer, I might not have made it to the end, like, just because I just felt like I was getting really um, depleted. Um, I lost, like, 20 pounds while I was out there. And um, when I got to the end, you know, I was, you know, you don't, it doesn't end at a road, so you have to hike out. So it's like I got done and I camped and then hiked out for, like, the eight miles the next day with my boyfriend and a good friend of mine. And um, then we got in the car and drove home and, I took like a two hour nap and then I woke up and then I went to bed and I slept for like 15 hours and 
I woke up from that and I felt like 100%. I felt like I could just go and like hike back to Mexico. Um, and I mean, I was running in a couple of days. Like I went out for a run like a couple of days later and felt fine. Um, aside from like the blisters on my feet, like those took some time to heal and I had some bruises and stuff on my back, like su- superficial type of injuries that I had to heal up. But like internally, like it felt like all I really needed was sleep. Like my body just needed me to and like recover that way. Um, that that was my biggest, um, what was making me feel so weak and so depleted was actually sleep deprivation. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, I was out running 40 mile runs within like a couple weeks of getting off the trail and not feeling like that was, you know, overdoing it. So I was really actually kind of shocked that I was not, um, kind of incapacitated because I expected I wasn't able to do anything for a couple months. Um, but that wasn't the case. And in 2014, I know you have already um, done the Hurt 100 at the beginning of the month and then the Barkley 100. Talk to me yeah, I, a little bit about what your experience was like at Barkley. On your blog, you talked about experiencing failure. What was that like in comparison to something like PCT, which was such a widespread success? Um. You know, the thing is about the Barkley is almost no one finishes it. I mean, it's only had, like, 15 people finish in, you know, 20-some-odd years or whatever. And um, so I didn't go there expecting to finish. I went there expecting to fail. Um, That was actually the reason that I um, applied to be in the race. I told the race director that I wanted something that would make me fail because I hadn't been able to experience that yet in other um, races or other – and, you know, physical endeavors just because, um, you know, Barkley is so different and so challenging. It's designed to make you fail. Um, it's not designed to make you succeed. And so I guess I went there with that expectation, not that I would, um, I guess, not go there, like, planning to give up easily, but knowing that I was unlikely to finish. Um it didn't make it any easier when I finally had to quit because I was frustrated because the reason I ended up quitting when I did was um, not because I ran out of time, which is what I thought would happen to me. Um, it was actually because I have uh, rain out syndrome in my hands. My hands get really cold and really numb really easily. And um, the weather was really, really cold this year. Um, it poured rain all day on Saturday. And then Saturday night, temperatures dropped uh, well below freezing. And we had like 40 mile an hour winds and it was snowing and it's just like horrendous out there, and um, my hands got completely um, numb, and they turned all purple. Like I thought I was getting frostbite, um, and I couldn't, you know, do anything. I couldn't open my pack. I couldn't open food to feed myself. I couldn't put on more clothes um, because my hands had just gotten to a point where I couldn't use them. And I realized that that was um, dangerous for me to be out on, a, you know, unmarked, unaided course all night long. I mean, this was like one in the morning. Um, and so to be out there for six or seven more hours before daylight, um, before I even potentially would get somewhere else where there might be people with a good chance I would get hypothermic or something like that. And so I ended up um, quitting, um, turning on and hiking the five miles back out um, to the um, campground. Um, so it was mostly just um, not necessarily frustration or being upset because I had to quit something but feeling very frustrated with my body because I felt like it had betrayed me. And um, I've never had that experience before. Like, I've always been able to kind of push my body through pretty much anything. And um, 
this was like a really different uh, experience in that um, in that way. Other than pushing your body and being so physically active, how do you unwind? How do you relax? What else really inspires you? Um, I don't know if there is anything else. <laughs> I just love being inside. Um, so just like anytime I need to unwind or whatever, just being out in the woods um, or in the mountains, that's like the number one thing that um, it doesn't have to be like, you know, pushing hard on a hike or anything, just being out there. Um, even if it's just like, you know, laying under a tree and absorbing the, the beauty around me. Um, I have other hobbies that I do indoors in the winter. Um, I read a lot and um, I quilt and that sort of thing. Um, but those aren't necessarily, they don't fill that same void. They're just other things I enjoy doing. In today, how are you going to get outside or how have you already gotten outside? Um, probably today it'll just be outside um, playing fetch with um, my friend's dog. Um, right now I'm taking some time off of uh, running. Um, kind of recoup before I start training for my next big adventure. Um, but, I mean, I like to go outside. You know, I have to go to work later today. I'll probably sit outside on my lunch break and, you know, soak up the sun, that sort of thing. Um, just being outside in some little way like that. Mm, that sounds lovely. Mm -hmm. Who do you consider your biggest mentor or your biggest inspiration? It could be someone from the outdoors world or someone from your own family or life? Um, I think my my biggest inspiration um, is would have to be John Muir. I remember reading about um, or reading his writings when I was in college. Um, and this was before I had really, you know, done anything in the outdoors. I don't even remember how I, like, stumbled across his stuff. But um, just started reading it and just being absolutely – like blown away by like the things he did and the places he went and the things he saw and um so like you know hiking the PCT and going through um the high sierra and all hiking on the John Muir Trail like those things are um you know they are really meaningful to me um because I know that he was like a pioneer that made those places possible and these things possible um and I mean I'm inspired all the time by I have so many friends who hike and run and do other um, activities and endeavors, and I just love um, how passionate they are and how, like, they just, like, give themselves completely to it, and um, I love seeing everyone or anyone who's, like, fully engaged in um, living their life to the fullest, and anybody like that really inspires me. Mm, me too. So what's ahead for you? First spring 2014, you said you're taking breaks. Um, in order to be rest, rested for another big adventure. Would you be able to share with listeners what that is? Um, I am not currently telling people what uh, my next big adventure um, is still in the formation stage. Um, so I don't want to make announcements until I've got firm plans because um, I've already had to um, postpone one thing that I was hoping to do this year due to weather conditions. Um, so we'll see. Um, it's funny how um, the weather, especially like the snow, um, really affects a lot of the things that I want to do um, just because, you know, you can't necessarily um, just assume that things are going to be available at certain times. Mother um, Nature has her own um, schedule when it comes to that. So 
um, we'll see um, what uh, snowpack ends up being come May in the mountains out here. And are there any races on your bucket list or any trails that you want to um, hike outside the United States? Uh, races outside the United States or races? Anywhere? Races inside, outside, anywhere. <laughs> bucket list, oh, okay. think big. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I have quite a few races on my bucket list. Um, unfortunately, most of them all happen in September, so it's going to take me a while to get through my bucket list. Um, but uh, I really would like to do um, Muggy and Monster, The Bear, Hard Rock, um, Fat Dog 120, um, Superior Sawtooth. Um, there's probably some others, too. Um, those are the ones I can think of right off the top of my head. Um Oh, Wasatch. I want to do Wasatch as well. So there's um, definitely a few races that um, I want to do um, in this country. I don't know of any international races that really have captured my um, attention yet, other than uh, Tour de Giants, um in Italy. I would really like to do that. And um, as far as um, trails internationally, um there's, there are some, but a lot of the things I want to do internationally are kind of just things I've made up. <laughs> I want to, I want to like do, um, I came up with this, my former partner and I came up with this 1,200 mile um, route around the coast of um, the United Kingdom. So it starts in Wales and ends up on the northern coast of Scotland. And um, I'd like to hike across Iceland. I don't think there's a specific trail. It's just kind of you just go across it. Um, and then there's a bunch of um, tracks in New Zealand that I would like to do. So um, there's there's enough to keep me busy. Yeah, it sounds like it. And what do you do as your day job? Uh, right, near, uh, right now I'm a cashier at a grocery store, at a health food grocery store. Very cool. And so tell us a little bit about what your food and nutrition philosophy is, especially with the intense amount of training and hiking you've done. I imagine you've really had to learn how to listen to your body through the whole process. Yeah, I have. Um, you know, like in my everyday life, you know, I, I eat um, tons and tons and tons of vegetables. Probably my diet's probably about 90% vegetables, um, a little bit of fish, and um a little bit of chocolate kind of rounds that out. Um, maybe a lot of chocolate. I don't know. Um, and then, you know, when I'm out doing um, big hikes or big runs, it's um, unfortunately like when you're, especially if you're moving fast, you're not going to be able to eat a lot of fresh foods. Um, so I eat a lot of junk, honestly. I mean, I think um, I eat a ton of Oreo cookies and chips and stuff on my um, PCT hike. Um, but I also eat, I try to eat higher quality um, bars and things like that. Like I ate a lot of Cliff products, which are good. They got, they're fortified with a lot of vitamins. Um, I also eat some trail mix and um, dried fruit and um, that sort of thing out there. Um, did, I saw um, that you the, didn't you didn't take a stove with you. Why was that? I didn't wouldn't have the time to cook food. Um, because all my time I was either hiking or I was sleeping. There was no real break time at all, um, any of the things that I could eat while I was walking. So um, the closest thing I had to, like, a cooked meal 
Um, sometimes I had packed myself dehydrated refried beans. So those would just be in a plastic Ziploc bag, and I would just add water, um, add a water stop, and let it sit in my backpack and rehydrate for the last, like, you know, a few hours that I was hiking, and then just be able to eat it when I got to camp. Um, so. What was the food that you craved the most on the PCT? Um, so when I was out there, basically from the beginning to the end, I craved coconut bliss ice cream, which is, like, my favorite thing on the face of the planet. Uh, I craved barbecue tempeh sandwich. I don't know why, but I craved that. And then I craved avocados, a ton of avocados, like in the desert. And then um, I forgot the desert. I had coconut oil in my mail drops. Um, and so once I started taking in um, large quantities of that healthy fat, I actually stopped craving the avocado quite so much. But um, barbecue tempeh and coconut bliss ice cream and salad. I craved salad the entire time mm. I was out there. So, um yeah, so those are like kind of the three things that I craved like nonstop. And I came home and I think I ate a salad and ate some coconut plus ice cream. And then I didn't crave it anymore. It was like I had my I had my little things I craved and then I was I was good. I just needed them once. <laughs> awesome. And yeah. one of my final questions for you is why is your trail name Anish? Or is that even how you pronounce it? Yeah, Anish or Anish, yeah, either one. Um, it's short for Anishinaabe, and uh, the Anishinaabe is um, American Indian people group uh, from, like, Ontario and um, northern Michigan and northern Minnesota. Um, I grew up in Michigan, and my family has um, long roots there, and the that's kind of like the people group around there. My great-great-grandmother on my dad's side was Anishinaabe. And so when I was out um, hiking the Appalachian Trail, um, you know, it was my first experience doing anything like that and, like, being out in the woods all alone, and it just made me feel pretty connected to that uh, part of my heritage. And so I chose that trail name for myself to honor her and to honor that part of me. And, um, you know, people just kind of shortened it to a niche because Anishinaabe is kind of a, a big mouthful. And so that just um, is what I go by now. I just use the shorter form. Mm. To close up our interview, I have a few either-or questions. Okay. Apples or oranges? Apples. Early bird or night owl? Definitely not an early bird, but not really a night owl either. But we'll go with night owl. <laughs> Smoothies or juices? Smoothies. I think this one is a given, but mountains or oceans? Mountains. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Heather, for sharing your story on the Running on Ohm podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. Oh, thanks for listening to episode 32 of the Running on Ohm podcast with Heather Anderson, experienced hiker, ultramarathoner, and record holder of the fastest self-supported Pacific Crest Trail through hike in 60 days, 17 hours, and 12 minutes. Check out runningonohm.com for links to Heather's sites. If you would like to help others find the Running on Ohm podcast, feel free to leave a review on iTunes. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I hope you have a beautiful day.